Wait, I don't, I don't get it. It's like playing Battleship. I never played Battleship. Well, you need to learn. That was me trying to figure out what in the heck was our strategy to take in uh, as much as uh, market share as we could before the competition figured out what we were up to. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So I want you to join me on the flip as we talk about part two of the makings of a mastermind, where we look at the markings and the clues of a mastermind. I'll see you on the flip. I sat there feeling small as the guys around the table got engrossed in, and then we can do this, and we can have them thinking of that, and we can do that. And I was scratching my head and looking over at some of the ladies at the table as we looked on and shook our head. See, we had a task, and this was when I worked at a major uh, American-based airline. And I worked in the revenue management department, but I also, but the sub-department of that was the pricing and forecasting of pricing department. And we took, we were all responsible for different regions and sections of domestic and international flight patterns for this particular airline. And because we were in this place called revenue management, it was awesome. It was wonderful. And it was hard. And it would make you feel small and humiliated because some of the best minds were coming together to try to figure out how to use our existing resources to make more revenue. Now, I could go into the times and how we had to do this because the price of fuel was skyrocketing. We were on the brink of bankruptcy, but I know nobody got time for that because we are talking about the mastermind and all the complexions and markings of it. Well, I shouldn't say all because I only have a few minutes. I'm going to take some highlights. How about that? We'll do that. All right. So, I'm sitting there at this table and Scott and the other guys and Steve and all of them, they are excited and they're drawing these arrows and we can do this and they'll go here. And um, we finally, it was like, it's, it's time for lunch. You know, we'll break and come back. And so we went to lunch, we came back and uh, I am not the hero of this story. I was one of the peons in the bag, just trying to keep, uh, you know, hold on. So when we get back and we start uh, to get our assignments that were now divvied out to us based on this master plan, I looked at it and I was just like, oh, this is like whack-a-mole. Why didn't you guys just say, we're going to have them play whack-a-mole? And they were like, because uh, it's not as cool. And I was livid. <laughs> so we set about playing whack-a-mole where we would put... Um, strategically put sales in places uh, where this airline would have to respond because they were the major market shareholder. Now, they knew what we were trying to do, but we knew what their resources were like. And our objective was to engage their resources enough where while they were putting out those fires, we were able to slip in and start to gain market share in a particular market that we were announcing new service to. So 
that's that. Now, did I think it was a, a mastermind kind of thing that came up with this? In hindsight, I'm going to say yes. At the time, I was just miffed that instead of using something that was more universal, they had to try to go and make it all complex with all these arrows and, you know, and all of this. And I was just like, we could have done this by just saying it's whack-a-mole. We could have saved ourselves three hours, you know, and... And so, like I said, I'm still peeved, if you can tell, but I'm going to shake that off. I'm going to release it and move on. And so today, I am going to be talking about the, uh, the actions of a mastermind and how you can tell a mastermind is at work, okay? So there are some characteristic traits of a mastermind. Now, yesterday, when I talked about the recipes and the makings of a mastermind, I talked about uh, the five major elements that a mastermind has. And that is, I'll just do a quick recap. They have an eye for observation and deduction. Uh, they they have... Um, a pit bull or not a pit bull, but a bloodhound kind of ability to sniff out great opportunities. They are collector of favors. They command resources and know how to use them and are martial resources. And then they embrace the simplicity of all the moving parts. And that's the part that I had a problem with, with this big plan that just turned out to be an elaborate, uh, synchronized whack-a-mole system because they could have just had the simplicity and thus the moving parts would not have caused as much friction with us who had to play catch up after they had hatched this thing. We spent a lot of time after the fact stripping down the unnecessary parts that would cause confusion and slip ups if we didn't get it right. And so through that process, I started to get my first glimpses of what it took to put together a master plan from a mastermind. Now, I want to get get um, this in your in your head. If you uh, if you have ever been skeptical or paranoid about something, if you've ever saw the whimsy in something, or if you tend to be like a mischievous sprite, trolls included, <laughs> if you are a strategist or a maker then you have the makings of being a mastermind. There's this movie that I watched uh, when it, not when it came out, I think it was a few years after. Yeah, and it's called Red Cliff with two Fs. And it's by John Woo, the famous director, um, but it's in Chinese and it has uh, English subtitles. You can still get it on Amazon. Uh, you have to rent it or buy it, but you can get it and it is worth it. Now, the version that we can see is not the full-length uh, epic version that was released in China, but it's, it's I think, it's done in a way that you get the point, and it's a great movie. Now, why am I talking about a movie where I'm talking about the masterminding? The one thing that I will say is that a lot of masterminds understand strategy and warfare, and they understand it because they have limitations on their power, their reach, their scope, and their resources. And so they have to take what is available and make magic with it. And the revenue management department that I worked in in this in this um, 
uh, airline uh, was cutting edge. It had revenue management had um, only been around for maybe 20 years by this time. And so it was still a development uh, with the advent of automations and uh, the ability for the heavy lifting of plans to be automated and computerized. And so we were working in this, this vast um, Wow West where anything goes. I was at this airline at the time when they decided to change out um, silverware for upgraded plastic silverware to, uh, to save on the cost of fuel um, because fuel was going up. And at the time, people were getting bigger. I'm not going to say fatter. People were getting bigger. And so it was taking more fuel to fly people around because they had more girth. So you can't make your passengers lose weight before they get on the flight, but you can take out pillows and you can take out silverware and replace it with plastic. So that's the kind of environment we were looking at. And this movie to me is a great example of the strategy, not only the cinematography and the beautiful storylines that interweave themselves with suspense and thriller and humor and all of it. It was beautifully done. I can't say enough about just the enjoyable quality, but what I do want to say is I want to talk about how you can see uh, how a mastermind works. And it the movie is centered around a specific strategist. But in that movie, you also have many other people doing mastermind things. Uh, there is the daughter of one of the leaders who is a mastermind in her own right and how she infiltrates um, the enemy. And if you watch it or if you've already watched it, Watch out for the way she wraps herself, you know, <laughs> that is brilliant. And even the way it's displayed at the end. So there are a lot of different things to say about this movie. And it's called Red Cliff. It came out in 2008 uh, and it's about uh, the three kingdoms back in um, around 208 common era uh, in feudal China. And it's a beautifully done movie, but it also gives you uh, per different perspectives of masterminding plans and how they they come into fruition it even you know shows you the difference between a short term plan and a, a long term plan and i really wish i had been able to see that movie while I was working in um, revenue management because I would have gotten big major aha moments because at the time I was not a strategist and I had to learn by the skin of my teeth. So as you can tell, that's one of the biggest traits uh, or the complexions of a masterminder. You have to learn strategy. And going back to that um that game, Battleship. Battleship is simply whack-a-moling, dropping in an area where you think a battleship is going to be until you get enough hits to sink it. That's the short of it. Uh, and so, like I said, that's a type of strategy. But, but strategy goes so much further. It's game theory. It's warfare. It's um, innovative thinking. It's orientational, ontological. It's all of these different things that we don't have time to go into today, but I'm just going to suffice to say, strengthen your strategy game. If you will be a mastermind, um, strengthen your strategy game and learn how to revenue manage. 
in part one, I talked about, um, I, I referred to a movie on Netflix that's currently on Netflix called The Black Godfather. And in that movie, they talked about how he would take a piece of paper and he would just start drawing names and circles and arcs. And he would figure out a way to put different resources together to make something happen. And usually what he was making happen had never been done before. So not only was he a mastermind, he was a innovative mastermind creating things that were never done before. So he did not have a blueprint to even go by to figure out how do I make this happen? And that is one of the things that I love about this whole masterminding thing. So now after you embrace <laughs> strategy and consider how to manage the resources and the revenue that you have at hand. The next thing that I'm going to talk about is things that you already have that I've already mentioned. Like for instance, having a healthy level of skepticism and even paranoia. As a romance writer, and I, I think I've said that before, I'm a full-time romance writer. One of my main names uh, is Michael Daniels, M-Y-C-H-A-L, Daniels with an S on it, michaeldaniels.com, or just look on me, look me up on Amazon. I say that because, again, a lot of people saying, what's your pen name? So I haven't mentioned it in a while. So that's one of the main pen names, Michael Daniels. Thank you. Okay, so one of the things that I have learned as a romance writer is that having a healthy skepticism of love is a great way to write a romance because you don't get tricked into believing the sugary hype. And therefore, you can write more grounded and realistic romance that rings truer to the reader while you take them on the fanciful. It's kind of like having something that's too sweet that has no bottom to it. That's the person who is out there in left field, just totally romanticizing life in the world. Skeptics tend to, to write the best romance. Case in point, Diane Warren, she is quoted as saying that she has never been in love, and yet she is one of the most prolific uh, love song writers that has ever been around. And uh, her quote is, is I've, I've never been in love. I know it's weird, <laughs> but yet and still she is able to write these songs. Now she does go on to say that, you know, her partner is the song and, and all of these things to, I think make nice, but you know, truth be told, I think, you know, she just has a gift. So, and I probably would say it's attributed to her healthy level of skepticism. So next, the next thing is when you have um, the desire to be a mastermind, you have different ways of doing it. So whereas you have the Black godfather who did things behind the scenes and he understood uh, power that is secretive or hidden, and you can find those different types of power. I referenced that book, The 48 Power, uh, 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. He talks about those types of power uh, where he used the covert or hidden power or the puppet master power, if you want to be that crass. Then you have the others that have no problems with being above the board, on top, and, and just totally out there with the way they mastermind things there. And I don't want to say they're showboats, but people love these types of masterminds who are over the top. Now, when I tried to think of uh, ones that were over the top, I, 
I didn't really come up with anyone that I'd like to highlight. So I'm going to say people that are masterminds who are just really good at what they do. And that's going to be your Steve Jobs, your um, Elon Musk, your uh, your your merchants of uh, of of Wall Street, and all these types of things. And that brings me to a book that I want to recommend. Um, <clears throat> now, I love the Biography Channel, but I haven't had it in a while. And but I do remember a series on it that were, was called The Merchants of Retail, and it highlighted uh, J.C. Penney's and uh, Levi Strauss, uh, Woolworths, Walgreens. I mean, not not Walgreens, Woolworths, uh, Macy's, the Macy's Brothers, and all of these different ones. And I was so inspired, and it was because they were exhibiting the parts of the mastermind that I talked about. Like they had most of them had an eye for opportunity. Opportunities. A lot of them were able to observe and deduce uh, trends of, of what would be uh, upcoming. And uh, they were able to, to not, well, some of them did exploit it, but a lot of them were able to take advantage of the trends that they saw coming. And so I just enjoyed it. But it wasn't until I started reading different books. Now, I have two favorite biographers that do really well. The, the first one is Isaacson. Um, and he, uh, I, I'm not highlighting one of his books today, um, but I will say that um, he has done a great uh, job at, at taking a lot of uh, huge uh, personalities over the years and worked with them to be able to present a great um, a great understanding. Like, for instance, uh, his work on um, the uh, Benjamin Franklin has been great. So, you know, so like there's that one. And his name is Walter Isaacson. But then I have another biographer that I really love too, and his name is Ron Chernoff. And I'm highlighting his book today because it, ooh, it's taking me a while. I am, I'm two thirds of the way through it. And I've been reading this book for over a year. But it is awesome. And I would tell you, probably, if you're not a big reader, to get it on audio. They do a great job on audio. So I'm going to drop the audio link in here. But the way I drop it, if you want to get the book, you can get the book as well. But it's called The House of Morgan. And uh, the subtitle is An American Banking Dynasty Dynasty and the Rise of Modern Finance by Ron, Ron Chernoff. And uh, I highlight this because what he does is, like Walter Isaacson, he gives you not only the things that the people were doing, but he shows their mental processes better than I found a lot of biographers do. See, I'm I'm all about what was going on with you. Uh, how did you orient to your world? What made you tick? And um, he he goes through the dynasty, so it's not just where he he deals with JP or he deals with uh, any of the other Morgans. He actually starts at the beginning uh, when uh, Morgan Morgan Senior was just learning how to be a banker under the tutelage of a hard taskmaster, but he would grow, go on to be. Uh, his partner. And so it starts with Julius uh, and he takes you all the way through to, through the family to, to how 
um, the the banks made nice and and formed alliances and on down through to to where we are today in modern finance. And the reason why I'm highlighting this book, although it is a tome, it really is, is because you get a chance to see the different angles of a mastermind. You get to see that mastermind uh, in these different generations of Morgans, where he, yeah, he gave you the strengths and the weaknesses, but he also gave you the way they uh, looked at their worlds. So you could see complexions that I'm going to talk about. Like you could see the provocateur, the one who just didn't give a crap. He was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Then you could see the the curious curious questioner um, uh, side of him where he was truly interested in the art and the craft of finance. Whereas you had a a son who was a maker um, and maker masterminds, they are all about continuing to uh, make things happen. And so you move into where you start to get these great mergers and you get the diplomacy to put together things that can't be done just by yourself. Then you also have the mischievous side of um, the, the mastermind where they push the the levels and the boundaries to see what they can get away with. And sometimes they're playing a game uh, with people's um, um, uh, uh, temperances to see. Like, for instance, there's a great part in the, the book that talks about Theodore Roosevelt <laughs> and Morgan and their particular relationship. And then it also talks about... Uh, um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, after it. So it's like I said, it's a a large landscape of the dynasty and the history. And it's a a big book, but I I, I have learned so much and I have been able to see what people do as they mastermind their ways through things. Okay. So what I want to, um, what I want to what, what I want to make sure I drive home when I'm talking about the markings of a, of a mastermind is that yes, They have all of those traits I talked about yesterday when you have the mastermind, but then they also have these complexions to their personalities where they can be natural skeptics. They don't get caught up in the folly or the hype. They actually are able to cut through and see the real of what's going on. Uh, You can even say some of them have a slight paranoia to them where, you know, they are always on the lookout for the boogeyman and and what, what could get you. Um, then you have the provocateurs. You have the ones that provoke people. They, they poke the establishment and they dare to do something differently. Then there's the whimsical. I do, I do love me some whimsical masterminding. Uh, the whimsical ones are going to be the ones who come up with a new way a new approach to doing something like uh, the person who came up with using cardboard to make bicycles, functional bicycles by using cardboard. That is a whimsical mastermind if I have ever seen one. Uh, Then, of course, the mischievous ones. Now, I'm going to be doing a uh, podcast uh, real real soon uh, about uh, the online or internet troll and... uh, what that does to them and to 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 you or us. And so stick around, you know, be checking out for that. 
But the mischievous mastermind can fall, can include uh, 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 some of the trolls. And the mischievous mastermind, they do things to mess with people. They do things like, and they, they'll even say, oh, I'm just messing with you. I'm just, I'm just, you know, whatever. They are your pranksters. They are your, your, your ones who want to disrupt for the sake of that. They're playing a game that we don't want to necessarily play, you know? And so there's that. Then you have, like I said before, the strategist. And I love me some strategists because these are the foundationals. To me, to be successful at the masterminding, you kind of have to understand strategy. And then you can provoke, you can be skeptical or even paranoid, you can be whimsical, you can be mischievous, and you can be curious. You can ask all the questions you want to see how the sausage is really made. But what you need to do is make sure that you understand the strategy behind it. And so I'm going to do a quick recap of um, what we talked about yesterday and today. So in the makings of a mastermind, I talked about traits that you want to develop, skills that you want to acquire. And that is you need to have an eye for observation and dedication. You need to be able to root out and be on the offensive when it comes to looking for and spotting and taking advantage of opportunities. You need to be on the collection side of favors, doing things to network people or understand resources or be a great curator of things so that you can hook people up with favors and then uh, be able to command or properly masterfully allocate Uh, resources, and then embrace the simplicity of the moving part. So we talked about that yesterday, and I referenced the books, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. I talked about a fictional uh, uh, youth book called Artemis Fowl that I love. I think you should really pick that up. I uh, made reference to The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday to help you with uh, mental development and looking at a snapshot of stoicism and kind of like getting the meat of what you can get from that if you're not really into that deep philosophical uh, journey of Marcus Aurelius and um, Seneca and others. And then today we talked about revenue management and strategy. I I referenced the movie Red Cliff by John Woo that talks about the main strategist, but there are other people in the movie doing a lot of strategy. I talked about um, the game Battleship and understanding different ways to start strategizing and understanding what your your competitors are doing. And then I highlighted the book, The House of Morgan, An American Banking Dynasty and the Rise of Modern Finance by one of my favorite author by... um, um, biographers, not auto, uh, just biographers, Ron Chernoff. And I want to close this out with this. Um, When I am teaching people how to write fiction, and I've been blessed to teach thousands of people how to write fiction, I'm actually coming up, coming out with a new uh, training and teaching uh, for people. I, I love to get people who are not writers. I love to get everyday folks like me who might be changing careers and those types of things uh, to, to write. Because if you write and publish, you'll always have a source of income coming, even when you don't feel it, even when you're um, infirmed, uh, or when you don't feel like it. If you if you publish books that are good, you will have income coming in and, and they, they will outlive you. So that's that's one of my big things. But there are three types of stories that I start teaching people how to write that are very easy, but uh, have a magic behind them. And that magic is 
partly because they all can involve the mastermind. So let me tell you the three real quick. Uh, The three types are challenge, connection, and creativity. So if you're writing a challenge story, this one, oh my gosh, this one sells perennially. You cannot go wrong with this type of story. And this story is the reason why we love our action films, our mystery. We love our love conquers all romances. We, we love our war stories with heroes. We love it all because the challenge story is contained in all of them. And the challenge story is where you overcome a big obstacle and succeed. You see, people love to see you document the process. They love to see the big obstacle and they love to go through with you to figure out how are you and how are you going to get this done? They love that. And so that's part of what a mastermind does. They don't just come up with something and hope it works. No, the mastermind has an action behind what they do. They come up with a plan and they execute it. Remember when I read uh, to you the definition? It's not only coming up with a complex plan, project, or action. No, it's about the excellent execution of the plan. And so a mastermind is someone who makes a plan and succeeds at pulling it off. And so when I talk about, you know, great ways to get started on a story for people who've never written, I tell them, write a challenge story. If you learn how to write a challenge story, you're going to always have people willing to read what you write. Now, I promise you three types of stories and all of them have elements of this mastermind in them. So the first one is challenge where you show how someone overcomes a big obstacle and succeeds. Okay. The next one is connection. Now, you would think with connection, that's going to be all woo woo. No, Um, a controversial one, but one that is beloved that uh, is contemporary that I can talk about. Uh, Two different ones, same type of story, but upsets people each time it comes out. And that is the first one was called Driving Miss Daisy with Morgan Freeman and Jessica Tandy. The uh, second one is a contemporary one. It's called The Green Book. And it's um, got... uh, Marishad Ali, I always mess up his name. Um, And I forget the other gentleman's name. Oh, forgive me. (laughs) But um, so both of these movies talk about the connection. And that is where you build a relationship that bridges a gap that's unconventional or taboo. And then the next one is creativity. And um, the reason why the connection one is uh, a mastermind is because you often see the underdog having to masterfully navigate how to get this done. The last one is the creativity. And that's where someone has an aha moment and they solve a huge problem in an innovative or creative way. So those are the three types of mastermind stories that people love and that you can see the genius of mastermind. So guess what? My time is up and I sure do thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiver with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. Do me a favor. You know what to do. Like, subscribe, share, comment, and review and use our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. And guess what? I'm going to see you or you're going to listen to me tomorrow. Bye.
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.